Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. Throughout your whole career journey, you'll be thinking about growing your skills, advancing, changing, and even reinventing yourself. We want to help you do that, and we want to help you live your full potential. In every episode, we cover work and career topics that leverage my global HR leadership, and through interviews and discussions with other career experts and leaders from all over the world. Subscribe and visit us at modern-career.com and see our blog posts, career stories. We also offer coaching and workshops and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to our next episode in our Chief People Officer Perspective Series. Today, our guest is Pat Waters. Pat is based in California and is the Chief People Officer of UKG, a leading HR cloud technology company. Pat also served as the Chief People Officer of Procore Technologies, ServiceNow, LinkedIn, and had many other HR leadership roles across industries throughout her career. She is known for transformational HR leadership and believes that organizations thrive when they have a blend of people with differing backgrounds and ways of thinking who feel they belong as a contributor to the company's success. She's a multiple recipient of the National Diversity Council's Top 50 Most Powerful Women in Technology. Pat's also a frequent speaker on human capital management, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and has served on the boards of several prominent technology companies. Welcome, Pat. Thank you so much for joining and for sharing what we consider an insider perspective. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we love to start from the beginning. If we could go back to, you know, sort of the early days of your career, how did you come to focus on what you did focus on, and I don't know if it was the whole time. And did you have a plan per se? Share with us a little bit of how you navigated so far. So early, early, I realized I was not a good student, Mary. So I was a CD student. I struggled with academia. Like it was spelling and math, just really, really, really hard. And I found my confidence through art, through sports, through activities. And I found a superpower of doing that extra credit work, of working with the teachers, of figuring out a way to pass classes that I just struggled in. It wasn't until I was in college that I discovered who I was in a transformational way. I found out that I was dyslexic my freshman year in college, and it opened up my eyes. It said, you know, basically it doesn't impact your IQ. It just is how it transposes in your brain to your paper and with the strengthening of computer technology, I I will be fine, was basically the message. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I have this disability. I was thrilled. And the world opened up. And in that session, I was taking a, what do you want to be career center kind of battery of tests. And they said, great that you know about this dyslexia, but it says that your passion is around people. It's around teaching. It's about social work. It's about this thing called personnel at this time. And my dad and my uncle were both, his twin brother were both in HR at the time. And so I interviewed them both. My dad worked for the unions in GM and my uncle was an industrial relations vice president at McGregor Corp. And my uncle said to me, and this was like the light bulb moment, that a company's operational expense, 80 cents on the dollar is the cost of talent. 80 cents on the dollar. So if you want to run a well-run organization that beats everyone else in the market, that competes well, has a strong P&L balance sheet, that outperforms X, 
it's about the talent. It's about who you hire, how you develop, how you retain, how you pay. You don't want to pay too much, too little, because you want to be profitable. You want to make sure that you are clear and trusted and engaging your workforce. You kind of like, in my mind's eye, creating this like really cool dashboard of a fancy car <laughs> at the time. I must have been obsessed with cars. And I'm like, I want to run HR. And he's like, no, sweetie, do you want to be a recruiter, a benefits analyst, a... Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, no, right. I want to run HR. I want all those bells and whistles. Again, he tried again. No, seriously, sweetie, what do you what do you want to do? Do you want to be a recruiter? And I said, Uncle Roland, I want to be a recruiter. I want to be a comp person, a benefits person. I want to be a trainer. I want to do it all. I want to run HR. You knew that way back then. It was as clear as a belt, like it was so clear. And by then, that time, there were more more men in our seats than women, for sure, like way more. And so he did not believe in my dream. And I convinced him and he said, all right, I'll mentor you. And he, he was my first mentor for about a decade and he taught me how to navigate my craft. He gave me pearls of wisdom about not being pigeonholed, about, flirting with a skill set. Don't flirt. If you want to run something, you can't flirt with a skill set. Like if you only spend a year in something, you kind of got the dictionary right, but you didn't implement anything and learn from your mistakes. So three years is the rule of thumb for any discipline that you really want to say you know. And if you go beyond that, you're deemed a master, like in a specialized master, it's harder to move. So there's a sweet spot that I figured out and it was true. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so true. And then with that methodology, I also started changing industries because there was a parallel bias that if you stay in an industry greater than X years, that's all you know. So I've done entertainment with Viacom. I've done pharmaceutical. I've done semiconductor. I've been internet. I've been med device, <laughs> like you name it. <laughs> but it's from that conversation that created my path. So I have to ask, because this is fascinating, Pat, and I love what you're sharing. Was the mixing of the industries or, you know, even your uncle's first perception of things, you had to have pushed back. You had to have said, okay, I'm doing something that's maybe not seen or, or sometimes, at least at the time, moving too quickly or moving industries didn't always serve. So how did, what was that about you or your character that said, I'm going to do it anyway and trailblaze a bit? I think it comes down to my superpower being dyslexic. And I, and I know others have talked about it, but it truly is, if you have some type of challenge, you create these other strengths. And I refuse to let people define me because of my inability to spell, right? Because of my lack of X on the math test, right? I refuse to be measured by other sticks. Because if I allowed myself to do that, Mary, I'd have been a shadow of who I am today, right? And I knew in me that there was something. I just didn't find it yet. And so I would experiment. I would do my artwork. I was, if not the youngest, one of the youngest women to ever play Little League Baseball. I played, I was a fish, kind of snuck on a team on a, on a tryout. So it wasn't like they knew I was doing it. But once I passed the tryouts... They try to kick me off the team and, and my sisters argued for me, but I got on a baseball team in Little League in 1972 in New York. Wow. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, like I wasn't wanted on the team, <laughs> but I refused <laughs> to quit the team because I was a tomboy and I was good. I was a catcher. And so I think 
my life has been about being my best version of always learning, right? Of figuring out my path. I don't know where it is, but it's going to be there somewhere. Belief. It sounds to me anyway, you, you had a deep belief in yourself too, or you held on to that even if others, you know, or something context-wise around you at the moment didn't support that, which is hard to do. It is. And it took me as an adult to kind of reflect and, and have coaches and, and I went to therapy when my, my mom passed away that same freshman year and she'd been sick for years. And so I think that my disability of learning and processing coupled with not having 100% confidence my parents can be there for me made me like really resolute to be independent, to hold myself accountable in a way that many of my peers weren't doing at the time and willing to take risks that they weren't willing to take the time and or taking a stand on on moral issues. So, and it was like this small pattern and reflection. I'm like, wow. But it was, you know, I joined a sorority to find friends at college after my mom passed and, it w- and we were just creating, it was a founding chapter at LSU. And originally they wouldn't want to pass during the rush a, a girl that they believed to be gay. And like, she's, she's a lesbian and they were nervous about that. And I said, great, bring her in. <laughs> Let's bring her in. I think she's a trip. I think she's so fun. I think she's brilliant. I think she's creative. I don't care about her sexual preferences. I think all these other things are freaking amazing. And so they voted her in. But I did never shied away from people being different than me. I always thought it was an interesting thing to discover because I, I got to discover me. That's brilliant, Pat. I love to know, as we're having this discussion, what might be a perspective you have today as you look at you know, the context that we live in or you look ahead What's something you'd share on what's a good way to navigate your career today? What's something to think about as someone's forging their own journey and, you know, trying to reach whatever their own aspirations are? I go back to my lessons that keep being validated over and over again is gather skills and experiences, not titles. It's not the title you you hold. It is what did you learn in that journey? What did you get to learn through mistakes and relationships and networking? And how do you build upon that? And then truly knowing yourself and your superpowers. So I I created, after about a decade in, in my career, trying to figure out my own career path, you know, and making sure I was building the right skills after my uncle stopped coaching me. And I created a Goldilocks spreadsheet because, you know, Goldilocks tries on all these different things. And Although I forgot to mention she broke into a house, which you probably shouldn't do. It was like trying porridge and beds and chairs. So, you know, I wanted to try on different skills and experiences to continue to reflect back on what I got to learn and draw from, right? How did I know my best strength and how did I build towards something I really liked? And I encourage everyone to follow their Goldilocks, like be intentional with it. What are your values? What are your motivators? Are values sharpened with age? Our motivators change at a drop of a dime. If your health is threatened, if, if family members threatened in their whatever reason, you're going through a family crisis, you're gonna your value, your motivators will change. But you have superpowers and things you love doing and things you don't love doing, but they're still strengths. Like I learned as a comp analyst way back in the day that my dyslexia won't stop me from being a master. 
that I will figure out a way to do Excel spreadsheets and formulas and, and be unashamedly vulnerable with a financial analyst to audit my work so my formulas were right. I don't want to live in a spreadsheet at all, Mary. <laughs> like, I don't want to go back, mm -hmm. but I can audit spreadsheets to this day. I will go into formulas because I can't help myself. It's a strength, but I don't want to live there. And so I think that is the encouragement I have for everyone. Figure out your strengths, what you need to build on. You don't have to live in that house every day, but if it's the path forward to your goal, then go through it. Learn that skill. Be your best version. I really love this because I think a lot of people, especially earlier in their career, do struggle. We we chase after titles, we chase after levels still. And your uncle's advice way back this, don't flirt. I love that because that depth of knowledge, you don't realize till later, right? How that really serves you. I love your Goldilocks spreadsheet. And I would say when you said, yeah, there's things not to do, but isn't that part of it too? Yes. <laughs> you it's know, like we're no, human. We, we have to make mistakes. You have to. You date in life so you know who to marry. Like it's, it's the same thing about building wisdom, building through experiences, figuring out what gives you joy and your body gives you signals, then you find your joy. And then you want to build on that more. And then you're like, oh, this is really hard. But then you step back and you have wisdom. You go, I need this skill to be better at the following, to be more respectful to the craft. I really have to do more than flirt with this. Yep. And you, you'll get to where you want to go. Oh, you do. <laughs> it's Yeah, yeah. And you, you actually get there that. faster. You actually get there with more joy and confidence because you, you did that work. Mm -hmm. Pat, can you share if you think, you know, you've seen so many, you know, leaders in your whole journey and all levels, really, can you share a story if one comes to mind where you saw someone do something that really allowed them to reach their goals and navigate their career well, or as we were just saying, something that got in someone's way and maybe they learned from it and got back on track. Is there a story you might share with us that brings it to life? Yeah, I, I'll share my own story because I, you know, talking about others is always interesting, but learning from oneself's mistakes is always better. I was at Applied Materials. I was a director of HR at the time at a, in an IT division in one of the like six divisions, whatever it was. And I was pregnant with my third and last child almost due. And I was looking for a business readiness leader to implement Oracle at Applied. So you had a, a senior executive, then you had a tech lead and a business readiness lead to run a multi-year program to change engineering process flow, to change dual forecasting, to change the foundation of Applied. Like Mary, this was a big deal. I made an offer to a gentleman on a Friday to do business readiness. And he was close, but not quite in my target of what I think the, the org needed. And I went into early labor, like three weeks early, and I had Katie on Saturday. The gentleman called me on Monday at my home. I don't even know how he got my home number. And he was like, hey, I, I, I heard you had a baby or something. Congratulations. I just, I got the offer and I, and I wanted to go directly to you, not to the recruiter, because I, I, I want to negotiate. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And so, oh, boy. And I'm like, a baby or something. I had a baby. And, <laughs> and so he, and he goes, yeah, yeah. And he went back to negotiating. I said, all right, this is a great call. Thank you so much for calling me. 
And he goes, oh, great. And he goes, I, I, I was excited to talk to you again because I really think this is a great opportunity. I said, it's so good. This opportunity is so good. But unfortunately, it's no longer yours. Thank you so much for your consideration and rescinding the offer. I hung up the phone and go, oh, my God, what did I do? And I, call, I told my husband, I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? And then I call up the executive sponsor, Steve, and I said, Steve, good news, bad news. And he goes, what is it? And I said, good news is I, I have someone to run your business readiness role. Bad news, it's me. <laughs> and so I'm like, ah. I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to step away from HR. I commit to you two years plus, no more than three. And I will come back to the office, you know, part-time the next two weeks and I'll ramp up so I can be full-time and ready for this work. And it was like, great. And in my head, I was going to prove myself, Mary. I was going to do everything right. I was going to show them how smart I was. I could flex like this. And this is where my, my focus just went astray. My first meeting, I got trained by what is today Accenture. And I got trained by IBM on how to do change management and business continuity planning and training and comms and all kinds of great stuff. And when I had my business readiness scorecard ready for all five divisions on their readiness with the CEO, the CEO, the CFO, like it was the biggest meeting ever to kick off this initiative. And I was going to show how smart I was. And I had three of my teammates with me to show them how great we're all doing. Of the scorecard, three divisions were red, two were yellow. All my data was right. I was just ready to go. I knew every data set in that report. Within the first minute or two, I started getting yelled at by these presidents. I got cursed at. My team cried. I couldn't get to the second division without my CEO, who I only met a few times, told me, Pat, do you think this meeting's going well? No, Jim, it's not. He goes, do you think we should... And this meeting until you can come back to us when you think how you want to go forward. He was very gentle with me. And I said, yes, Jim, I think that's a great idea. And the meeting ended abruptly. And I realized how messed up I, I went. I, I was wrong. Something went wrong. I didn't know what went wrong. And I went to Steve, my boss. I'm like, Steve, what are we going to do? That was awful. He goes, Waters, that's on you. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you're the leader. You decide. And I go, I failed. And he goes, no, you haven't failed yet. You made a mistake. Failure comes in how you walk out this room. Failure comes on how you show up tomorrow. Failure comes if you don't understand why you made that mistake. And so I came back the next, because he sent me home. <laughs> he was like, you got to figure this stuff out. And he knew the answer, but he wanted me to learn. And the answer was, I wanted to be the smartest person in that room, Mary. I missed my purpose. My purpose was business readiness. My purpose was to make them successful, not me. I got so in my own head about this opportunity and what I was learning and proving myself outside of HR that I, I lost my way. I learned truly how to be a servant leader. I learned truly to be purpose-driven and not ego-driven. It was humbling. It took me a couple of months to recover and get us back on track. We did. The team did brilliantly. But yeah, it was the biggest, most obvious flare out in my career. It was awful. Pat, I love this story. And I don't know who can't relate to those ego-driven moments. Sometimes we repeat them versus have that self-reflection and learning. And I love what you say here that you know, it's not failure unless you're just not learning from mistakes. We make mistakes. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I would love to know, 
because you're sharing so much what I'd consider not just personal reflection and insight, but some of what we know as chief HR officers behind the scenes. Is there any other insider knowledge that you think people may not know about, maybe they should, but they don't always, in terms of what's important to reach your goals or navigate your career well to reach your aspirations? Is there something you'd share? There's so many different flavors of CHROs. I know we talk like we're a box, but we're multiple boxes and shapes and sizes like we are human beings. And organizations need different types of CHROs. There are needs to be a CHRO that's really recruiting driven, right? It's about the talent attraction. It's about the onboarding of talent and creating that wheel, right? Get them in the door, get them solid, get them productive. And that's it, right? That's your gig. The other one is just like, come in the door and make sure we don't mess up, make sure we're compliant, make sure we're global, make sure we're protecting our data and paying our benefits and compensation appropriately and just keep us out of trouble like that. We don't need to be a differentiator. We just want to be be careful with our employee base. And then there's others that CEOs and COs, whomever you work for, that really want to differentiate in a way that is transformative from a talent perspective. It's like we want to be the best at leadership. We want to be the best at developing our employees. We want to be the best at creating an empowering workforce that allows you to do your best work. We want to be the best diverse workforce, whatever those things are. And and then you have CHRO leaders that come in and are fully embraced and empowered to be the strategist, to be the leader, to be the definer of what that thing is, right? That they take the business strategy and reverse engineer and say, you know what, if you want to achieve that, you can do it fa- faster, better, more agile, more gracefully with these tenants, right? And so there's so many different flavors to sit in this chair. I've probably done them all, right? I've been in all different flavors, and figure out what flavor you want to be and how you grow up. You can't be the strategist innovator without having gone through your Goldilocks, by the way. You have to go through the recruiting muscle. You have to go through the compliance muscle, the administration, the, the learning to differentiate, to learn how to partner and understand the business strategy and how talent fits and, and enables that. I mean, so I think my career advice is when you interview, interview, understand what kind of flavor they want. Know what flavor you are at stage of your career. Know what you're trying to learn, right? Don't take a job where you're not learning. Don't take a job that you don't have butterflies in that doesn't stretch you. Because if you don't have butterflies, you're not going to ask those questions. You're not going to go out of your comfort zone to be your best version. As an introvert, when I get my butterflies, I'm more likely to going to call you up and become your friend. And I would normally. Mary, I am an introvert. I'm like a little bit of a- I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little bit of a shy introvert, matter of fact. The only thing that makes me appear extroverted is my huge conviction and passion to make the world better for having been in it. If it wasn't for a burning flame, I think I'd be comfortable painting and reading my book and walking the dog and hugging my kids and being on the beach in the water. But I want to change the world for good. And so- When I stretch and grow, I end up actually getting the gift of friends. I get the gift of knowledge. I get the gift of laughter. I mean, look how I met you. Like, I end up socializing in a way I I wouldn't normally do. (laughs) You've had also, as we said, just the ability to work with so many different people across industries, across the globe, leaders, non-leaders, all levels. The times are changing. The times ahead are still uncertain. Is there an essential characteristic or a practice 
that you think really makes someone a great manager, great leader, great you know individual contributor that really allows them to have that impact, whether it's changed the world or it's just you know the impact in the role that they're in? What's essential? Practicing both gratitude and a growth mindset. I think in this role, if we don't practice gratitude, we will empty our cup of energy and compassion. Gratitude fills my cup, fills all of our cups. And then the growth mindset frees us up not to have all the answers when the world demands that we do. And couldn't possibly even if we tried. (laughs) We couldn't. And so I haven't learned it yet. I'll figure out COVID protocol. I'll figure out what to do on this thing over here, right? I'm not a medical advisor. I'm not an expert in all things DE&I. I am always learning, but I get a lot of confidence and comfort knowing I just haven't learned it yet. And when I go and talk to my employees, I'm like, look, I'm perfectly imperfect. I don't care what you think I am or what what you hope this role will achieve. What I do know with 100% confidence is that my direction is a true one. My intent is a good one. And I will learn along the way with your voice. So if I'm messing up, if I'm screwing it up, you'll tell me and I'll fix it. If you think I'm messing it up and I'm not, I'll educate you. We will be net better off by having engaged in a conversation of learning. Love it. You've shared many points on this. Is there something else that you may have learned or taken advantage of as you look back that you're so glad you did? Because it really did sort of enhance your whole career experience so far. Two things. One is don't let your fear of a skill get in your way. So I did do compensation for over three years. I mean, that was torture. It was wonderful learning to be in the seat. You got to know exec comp. You got to know the numbers. You got to have some rigor and confidence to play in this space. So get that expertise. The second thing is don't just fall in love with the craft, fall in love with business, right? We are business leaders that happen to have an expertise of X, right? But everything we do is in service of the business. Don't invent things that you think are going to be cool. Create things co-create things with our business leaders so they are successful. I don't do a single program without co-creating with my line leaders, without my peers. If they don't stand toe-to-toe next to me and pull me, then it's not worth it because it's in service of them. Even though I think that something might be really cool and to do and they're just not ready yet, I got to meet the business and the leaders where they are and I got to make sure that they're with me on that journey. Completely agree. Pat, is there an important reflection or question you've had to ask yourself, maybe you had to step back and ask, or it was just in the moment that, again, really was a pivotal or key reflection or question along the way? It's always checking my ego and making sure I'm in service of the employees and the business in the right way. I can go fast. I can fall in love with creativity. I mean, I know my my shadow right? And I get energized and I want to do. And, but sometimes doing is not the answer. Sometimes just sitting with something and learning from it is the answer. Mm. How do you check your ego? And how, did, how do you know your shadow? What have you done to do that? <laughs> That's because... <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I so do. <laughs> Gosh, I really truly believe feedback is a gift. It's like if I have food in my teeth, please tell me, right? If, you know... I'm wearing mismatched shoes, which I've done at work once. Please tell me. And like it's, I will appreciate the care that you have for me by telling me. 
And I realized through learning, through training, that giving feedback is harder than receiving it, actually. I did not know that. So I'm like, hmm, I didn't know. How would I know? I just want feedback. And then I realized I need to teach people the courage to give feedback. And the one way you can do that is by asking for the feedback to that person in such a way that gives them permission to be wonky in their feedback. Like, look, Mary, you invited me to do this podcast. At the end of this podcast, I'll ask you how'd I do? Because I'm, I do podcasts periodically and I want to make sure I'm doing my best work. And so what does that look like for you? And what could I have done better? Shorter answers, longer answers, don't laugh so loud, close your windows. I don't know. But I know I will improve by ha having asked you. And Jeff Weiner at LinkedIn one time, I ask him every other, you know, I'd ask him periodically for feedback. And one day he leaned back, Mary, and he goes, Waters, you always ask me for feedback. The answer's always the same. And I said, all right, I'm going to correct you on two points, Jeff. One is I ask you for feedback every other one-on-one. -on -one. We have a one-on-one -on -one twice a month. You cancel or I cancel that one-on-one -on -one probably 40% of the time. So I'm only asking for feedback theoretically six times a year. I think it's reasonable to expect to give me feedback six times a year. And on top of that, your answer is always the same, like you're doing great. There's no constructive feedback in there. I need to know what's working, what's not working. Can I lean more? What superpower do you lean on that I should elevate higher? And what irritates the crap out of you? That's all I'm asking. And I said, Apparently, my asking for feedback irritates the crap out of you. So I'll figure out another way. So I asked for feedback. And after I did that, he laughed and he started giving me feedback. And I would learn how to do it in the moment. I said, what makes you comfortable to give me feedback? When do I ask for feedback? How do I do this? Right? So you learn. But asking for it is your first step. Awesome. Pat, what is a piece of career advice? Something that may have stayed with you could be recent, but maybe it's something that stayed with you throughout your career that you learned or someone shared with you early on that you might share with us. So before I got my first head of HR job, which was at Align Technology, I was at Applied. I had a coach, had many coaches. So you can see the theme. I'm always trying to learn and be aware. And we went through, it was, it was a women's leadership coaching program. And there was only five of us in this cohort. And she had us up in Sausalito one Saturday and I'm away from my young kids. So this is a big investment personally for me in my career and, and knowing who I was. And she had us visualize our future and paint the scene. You're in this beautiful older hotel like vibe with recliner chairs. You're fully relaxed. Your feet are up. You had a nice lunch. You could go to sleep as you close your eyes to meditate and think and visualize. And she's walking you through this visualization exercise about where are you at your end career goal? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What's on the walls? When you see people, what do they do when they see you? How do you navigate? I mean, like to the detail. What's on your desk? Like everything to the detail. Like it was really intense visualization. You're driving in the parking lot, Mary, and you're walking through the doors. You say hello to the receptionist. You Or you don't. What do you do? Like how do you navigate? And so after this hour, it was over an hour of visualization, I had visualized myself as the head of HR. I visualized that in my office, no matter what shape, size, there was an original painting of mine. My creativity was in my life. On my desk were pictures of my kids and my husband and my friends. There would be mementos of lessons 
right? Like a little acknowledgement from Applied when I did that Oracle implementation, I got a silver bowl for having strength and courage. And so these little mementos of my learnings I kept, not recognition mementos, it was a different kind of thing, to remind me of my best version of self. And then when people would walk in the hallway and see me, they'd smile. And they would ask me how my day was, and I'd ask them about theirs, and I'd know about their children, and they'd know about mine. And I fast-forwarded to having a, a conversation, a debate with my peers who, and with blank faces. And it was kind of like what Brene Brown talks about, the rumble. Like it was a big family kind of rumble. Yes, and, and I'd interrupt you, but you're like, yeah, Pat, and this. And like we'd be like, but what about that? That could go wrong. And, and I felt a part of something. I didn't feel like I was waiting to be pulled into a conversation. I felt that I was already in the conversation. So I visualized all of this. Within six months, I got my first opportunity to be head of HR. I painted that painting. I have that painting to this day. I knew exactly which pictures I'd visualized and pulled them out and put them in a box. And I manifested that vision. And it makes so much sense, Pat, because both your points on visualization and feedback, if we learn from other, you know, contexts, are what the top athletes in the world do really, really well. And it's how they achieve what they achieve. And you just brought it to light life for us so well. Pat, thank you so much for our dialogue today, our conversation. You shared so personally, you role modeled live, you know, this self-reflection, the learning, the growth mindset, and how it's not only okay, but it led to your growth, it led to your amazing success and is a essential component to you reaching your goals. And it is so great to see you and to be, I want to be really clear, to be inspired by you. What you shared is really inspiring to me and I know it will be to everyone else. And clearly you are changing the world for good and what you shared today is really a big part of that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary, for the opportunity. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Mm-hmm.